Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that, is what, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." These words are God's words. On sort of an encouraging and um, almost astonishing note, where are my friends Josiah and Isaiah at? Oh, there they are. Josiah told me today he was a pastor. He just, he, at least he dressed like one. But one of the really big things is this is their second anniversary. So it's been two years. And what that means for, for, for them and for us is that we have been blessed by these young men. And we love them dearly, as their family does. It also means that there's some of you who've been waiting for two years to adopt from Haiti. You're in process, and your children are not right here. And we love to pray for you as well. So why don't we just take a minute to pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for parents. I'm, I'm so thankful for moms. I know there's a bunch of them who aren't here today because their kids are sick and they've been sick. And it just doesn't seem to end. And yet I thank you that they're such an incredible picture of your love. They help our kids understand you. Lord, I'm so thankful for adoptive parents. So thankful for parents who, um, though, they, though they could be content to simply care for themselves, they can't do that. They love. And they open their lives and their hearts to kids. And I just want to pray that you would be with our parents who are looking forward to the day when they will be uh, united with their kids. Uh, pray for those that are traveling real soon down to Haiti. Pray for some that are adopting from, from other places around our world. For, for some who are adopting from our state and some who are adopting from, from other countries. Lord, I pray for parents that are parents in heart right now. Lord, you haven't blessed them with children. And they would love if you would. And we would love it if you would. I want to pray for parents who love their kids who are grown who love their grandchildren, or they love their own kids, even though they're not right next door. Lord, I want to pray that you would just encourage us, help us today. That as we think of this, I know for some, maybe parenting is not a, a real positive image. But I pray that you would reverse that for us as we find out what a great father you are. 
Help us to get a whole new picture. Help us to be encouraged. Lord, work through your word today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles. We'll turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We've got a lot to do. Okay, so I've got to be good. I've got to be moving. I've got to sprint. Um, otherwise, otherwise, this could, you know, there's just a lot of great, encouraging, hopeful truths. And let me just start by saying this. How are you doing this week? Some of you had a good week, didn't you? You, you need this sermon. It'll be okay. You need to write it down because probably next week you'll be like the person who's sitting next to you who didn't have so good a week. Our topic, our thought today is, what do you do when trouble strikes? What should we be about? What should we engage in when trouble strikes? Because it will, won't it? It hits each of us. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Matt just read this for us and... um, We want to pick up right there in verse 12. He starts out with this word, therefore. And therefore just gives us one chance to kind of drift back to where we were um, last week and to remind ourselves as we look at this. Last week we saw that God brings, okay? Now, you're going to have to catch right back up with this for us to do this in a timely manner, but that God brings just the right amount of of really non-destructive, precisely engineered pain which is only for our good and never more than necessary he brings that into our lives do we believe that we need to we need to because it really sets the foundation that's why he uses the word therefore it sets the foundation for what we're going to talk about why why does god bring this surgical pain into our life. Because how many of us enjoy it? How many of us sit there and go, yes, my car won't start? How, How many of us just love it when somebody else misinterprets what we meant to be a kind thing and instead they become angry at us? How many of us love it when we go to work and someone just decides because they're having a bad day that they should pass it on? Or sickness. Some of you have been plagued. I mean, literally plagued. They're they're putting something on your door of your house as we speak because there has been a plague hanging over your house and it just will not go away. Intentional pain. Now, we know that pain gets even more We're deep than that, don't we? All you had to do is watch the news this week. Yet what we're seeing from Hebrews chapter 12 is that God intentionally allows slash brings pain into our lives. What what do we do with that? Why would God do that? Let me say this. The answer we saw last week is because God is a good, loving Father. And He is working with our good, our holiness, our peace, and our righteousness in mind. 
The challenge is that we need to trust this. We need to trust this. So our author is going to call his readers to apply it to their situation because they understand trouble. They can see it. It's so palpable, so heavy on them that they're thinking about quitting. It's been so long and so hard and so tiring that they're thinking, maybe I should just give up. Some of you have felt that. I mean, I can see it. Some of you know what that's like today. Yet, I really believe I've got a lot of hope to bring to us today. These are do kind of passages, but it's built on something really important. So we see this word therefore in chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Therefore. And what he's going to do, I want you to notice this. As we read through this passage, as we look at just the elements of this passage, I want you to notice this. This section is very us-oriented. Read it, and don't just look at the word you and, and, and what you're supposed to do. What I love about this is that this is what we're called to do for each other. If you look carefully, this isn't one of those motivational kind of separate yourself from the pack kind of passages. And in fact, this actually calls us to give really special attention to those that are the weakest, those that are the hardest pressed, those that are not sure that they can make it one more step. Believers have a responsibility to care for one another and to encourage one another, especially to persevere. Keep going. You're not alone. You shouldn't be alone. It's not right to be alone. It's, it's harmful to you. We need each other here. So let's just notice this. So how is he going to do this? Well, first, I'm going I'm to look at this fact that he gives us a to-do list. And then there's three no's, three things that we need to know. Okay, And finally, one C-note, one, one thing that we're supposed to see. Okay. So that's how we're going to go through this. Um, I can't count in order, but it works out well with the passage, okay? So two things he's going to call us to do. Therefore, these are the two things that we are supposed to do inside of this passage. He's going to say, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The first thing he's going to call them to is to endure. Remember what he said back in chapter uh, in, in, in 12, but he, he sat there in, in, in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, since these disciplers who've gone before us have gone around and they're encouraging us to run the race because they proved to us that people can walk by faith with the strength of God, they made it, you can make it. With these witnesses surrounding us on every side, he says, run 
with en- let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You can actually see that verse 1 and verse 12 kind of create like a cookie sandwich, okay? All the ice cream that we looked at last week, all the good stuff in there about God's loving discipline is, is in the middle. And these are the cookies that are on the outside. He sandwiched this whole message through exactly the same way. And what does he want us to do? What does he want his readers to do? He wants them to endure. He wants them to continue on. He wants them to keep going. Now, please don't read this as, oh, come on, buck up. You can make it. You know, pull on your boots and let's get moving. That's not really the tone of this passage. It's easy to read it that way in our Western culture, in our mindset, which is all about me and, and all about what I have to do. But what he's saying is, therefore, you help that person who has these these drooping hands. Now, he's not talking about physical characteristics. Okay, so that's not his goal. What are these drooping hands? What are these what are these feeble knees? What's this idea of these joints that could pop out at any second here? He's talking about their emotional state. He's talking about the weakness, the feebleness, the the fact that they don't feel strong at all in their faith. The rub of pain, the rub of suffering, the rub of persecution is really bearing down deep on their souls. And what is he telling them to do? He's telling them to endure. How are they going to endure? One really big part of that is that they are going to help each other. The aim, the reason he did all of that teaching there in verses um, 5 through 11 is so that we would understand God's discipline in our suffering so that we wouldn't give up on the race, that we wouldn't fall exhausted into discouragement or take some detour into like an easier kind of path. How do we do this then? How do we make it through? Well, We give strength to each other. How do we do this with each other? Well, I'll tell you one way that we don't do it. When was the last time a good scolding really did anybody any good? Except for maybe the person who gave it. Because they felt better. Because what they did was they got to tell you everything that they were thinking. When was the last time a good scolding really moved you ahead? That's not the purpose here. That's not the calling. The idea is to encourage each other. The idea is to point each other to truth. And in fact, he actually practices that right here in this passage. Your Bible might have a footnote on this. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it does, but I love how he does this. You don't need to turn back there, but he, he actually is quoting from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. And, and here's what I kind of picture. Probably they preached on this at some point. There's a couple things inside of here where I just picture they preached on this, on this passage at some point. And he doesn't even need to go into all the details. He just needs to start to quote it because he knows you guys are with me on this. I remember this was an impactful passage for you. So he goes back to Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. And this is what it says there. It says, strengthen the weak hands. Notice that, recognize that. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, 
Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and He will save you. He doesn't say go to each other and sit there and go, come on, pansy. Even though that's the American way. Instead, he says, hey, let me help you fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me remind you of who God is for you today. You feel weak. You feel overwhelmed. You feel run down. What we need to do for each other is point each other to who God is. Man, that's good. Have you ever had somebody come alongside you when you were really struggling and do that for you? Man, that, that helps. You might already know this information in your head. Josh Foster and I were talking about this the other day. The times where you sit there and you go, I know what's true. I, I could teach a Sunday school lesson on this. I know what I'm supposed to believe about God, but right now I'm having trouble believing that. Have you ever had somebody else then come alongside and say what you already know, but when they speak God's truth into your life, it's amazing because it just seems to flood hope into you. That's why He's calling us to help each other. That's why the most dangerous thing to be is to be the lone wolf. That's why we need each other. Why we need each other. So he's calling them to endure. But the second part is verse 14. Look at what else he says there. He says in verse 14, Now, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This word strive isn't just like seek it or take a class on it or maybe read a book about it. This idea of strive here is a very strong word and it draws attention to this intensity and an urgency that's needed. In essence, he's saying make every effort to seek peace with everyone. Why would that make sense in this passage? Because if you're going to pour into my life and I'm going to pour into, li- into your life, the last thing we need is to allow you know, division, to allow things to stand between us. Instead, We've we got to get things taken care of with each other. We've got to deal with these things. We should strive for peace. Now, remember their context. They're facing real pain. What, what happens when you get into pain? Have you, do you run into that? I lose my cool. What, what happens is when I start hitting pain or when things aren't going my way, when I get frustrated, I don't know where things are, instead of sitting there with the people who are trying to help me, People are offering good suggestions, good ideas to me. What do I do? I get snappy. I get snippy. Now, I know I'm alone in that. That's what's really encouraging to me. It's good to know that you guys have this handle and that you can pray for me because I'm the only one who does this. But just to draw it out, I think he was thinking of me. So we're supposed to strive for peace, but let's be real. When you get hurt... It is really hard to be compassionate towards other people. When, when something on you is broken, it's really hard to sit there and say, oh, you know what? This reminds me that my relationship with this person's broken and I should go get it right with them. Amen? 
And yet he's saying, listen, work at this. Be diligent about this. Remember his, his readers. They're living in this world of chaos. They're saying, you know what? Our stuff is being stolen. Our very existence, the existence of my kids that I love, it's in jeopardy. How? How do I pursue peace? How do I, how do I go after righteousness? Again, i got good news for us. He's telling them to pursue this, but is he telling them to make this? No. Remember back in verse 10? Both of these things God has already given to them. God's already given it to them back in verse 10. He says there in verse 10, for they disciplined, he's talking about our fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may share his holiness. Huh. God's giving us holiness. The second thing in verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the what? Peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God's already given them peace through Jesus Christ. He's taken away the big issue between them and God. God's given them peace. And what's he doing? He's saying, listen, play with it. God's already given to them this holiness. And what's he saying to them? He's saying, use it, man. Find out and make that thing work. If God will only give you good things, open it up. Find out what you'll do. Work at this. Don't let it sit on the side. Instead, man, let it loose. Let it go. Learn how to do it with that. In other words, we can say this. Because in all of our suffering, God is creating that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, pursue peace. Not the other way around. God's at work, so you take heart and you work. God is pursuing your peacefulness and your peaceableness. So, strengthen your hands. Be encouraged. Encourage each other. To pursue peace. Where does this holiness come from? It comes from His holiness. This isn't some kind of you know, back room, sort of I scratch your back, you scratch my back, God saying to us. Instead, no, God just pulled back the curtain on why we suffer and why we go through pain in verses 5 through 11 so that we can trust Him. We can trust His heart. Even in our hardest times, that God is already at work for us to accomplish the very thing that he commands us to do. God's essentially saying, I am designing to bring about your holiness in all of your pain. Therefore, pursue holiness. I'm designing to bring about your peace in all of your pain, says the Lord. Therefore, pursue peace. You're not on your own. You're not helpless in this. You're just normal. You're people like us who are going to struggle. Praise God that He loves to use that for your good. 
your pain is not pointless. It's very purposeful. And it's bringing a great end. So those are the two things that we're supposed to do. That's our to-do list. Now, let's jump down to these three things that we're supposed to say no to. There's three things that we're supposed to know. And there's really three parallel statements here, and they expand, they clarify each other. And they begin there in verse uh, 15, and it says this, See to it that, that um, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that's number one, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And number three, that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he had desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Three parallel statements. The first two, first statement's short, second statement's a little longer, third one's a picture. Okay, he's going to tell a story to help us to get this. The first one, the first no, make sure that no one falls short. Who's supposed to make sure that no one falls short in this passage? Raise your hand if you're supposed to make sure that no one falls short. All of us. It's community, right? This is important. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The author expects them to show the same level of deep pastoral concern for them, I mean for each other, that that he's giving to them. I mean, essentially, the the motto here is no one left behind. Right? No one left behind. And that is amazing because what, what we find out is that if you wait for your pastors, you know, your elders to find out that you're in trouble, you're probably in too much trouble by the time we find that out. So God gave you the people that are seated next to you. To held out a hand to help each other, to be there with each other. The second phrase now is going to expand it. So the first one is make sure that no one falls short, that no one misses the grace of God. The second one is this, that no bitter root grows up, this root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble, and by many become defiled. Now that sounds like we're going back to the pursuing peace idea, but let's follow this for a second. This is not just a warning about smoldering anger. Make sure the person next to you is not just turning red. You know, it's not that. Instead, here's our pastor, again, going back to Deuteronomy this time, probably another maybe sermon that he had preached or a passage that they had studied together, that they sat and talked about. But in Deuteronomy 29, verse 19, where we find this same exact phrase about a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. So we find out that it's not just a root of bitterness, it's a root that gives birth to this kind of a a poisonous and a bitter fruit. The context there is from verse 18 in, in Deuteronomy 29, is talking about whether a man or a woman, or a family, or a tribe, and that's that's what it says in there. And then literally it says in verse 19, one. It's talking about these different types of groups inside of there. He says, one who, when he hears the word of this sworn covenant, when he hears about God's faithful covenant to his people, he blesses himself. Now, no, that's not, a, that's not unheard of to sit there and go, wow, the faithfulness of God, his grace and his glory in my life. But when he blesses himself, 
in his heart, listen to what he says from Deuteronomy 29. He says, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Do you hear the disconnect there? They're sitting there saying, oh, I love this relationship that I get to have with God. Oh, this is so great that I get to come and worship with God's people. This is so cool that we get to be a part of this big community. And they love that. And yet the problem is he's saying, you know what? Because of that, I'll be safe. Even though what? I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart. God's called his people to live this way, to love this way, to love him. And I don't really care. I can just go do myself. But you know what? I'm in. My name is in the book somewhere. They wrote me down. Someone wrote it down somewhere in here that I am in. So it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter at all. God's just going to have to give grace to me. Do you hear the presumptuousness of this? I mean, it's easy for us to get to this point where we're in pain, isn't it? I hear, I hear people. I, I really don't care what God tells me I ought to do in this situation. I just can't put up with it any longer, and I'm just going to do this. He's just going to have to forgive me. You ever thought that? Ever felt that? Ever felt there and said, God, you just know I can't resist the sin, so I, I just it, it doesn't matter. What's this a warning to? See how this expands that first part? This is a, one of the ways that someone can fail to obtain the grace of God. They can be all around it. It can be all near them. They can have people next to them that are speaking this. Our very kids can grow up inside of this church and think, you know what? I'm in. I'm safe. I'm good. It's good for me. It doesn't really matter how I live. I know all the Bible stories. This is just like the first one. This is a warning to shepherd each other's souls. Okay? Third one now comes in here. This is the third no. The third no is that no one is apostate. That no one is sexually immoral. He picks up there in verse 18. Okay? That no one is sexually immoral. Now this is interesting because what's he going to talk about? He's going to talk about Esau. We don't really see this in Esau's story. When you go back to Genesis. There's a possible connection, but I think there's a more important connection here. We don't really see that Esau's big issue was that he was sexually immoral. Okay? But that's what our author says. Our author says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now, you could go back to Genesis to find out more about this. I'm not going to elaborate this. I would love to, but I want to be good. Okay? So, um, but you go back to Esau, all right? You know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought for it with tears. The immorality here is not so much that he was involved with prostitutes. The immorality here is that he had prostituted his relationship with God. You remember the story, right? He was the eldest brother. He should have inherited the blessing. But what did he do with his brother, with Isaac? What did, what did he do? He traded that blessing. He traded God's blessing, the, the path, right? He, he traded, and what did he trade for? A brand new car. 
A house. Five million dollars. Is that what he traded it for? One single meal. Don't you hear the author saying that? A single meal. A meal of what? Lentil soup. I mean, yum! And it wasn't really all that good. That's what the author's trying to say. Instead of turning towards God, instead of turning towards God's blessing, he so despised that, he sat there and said, God, you know what you're worth to me? A meal is better than you. Now again, I know none of us would ever say the same kind of thing to God, but aren't we challenged on a daily basis to take something that is not worth everything and trade it for that which is infinitely great and eternally valuable? That's when we make those little statements like, if they would just, my kids would just behave. If, if I could just have some money we could just finally be out of this crisis. If I didn't have to put up with the stress every single day. These are things that come out of us in pain. I realize this. But what's the author saying? He's using an illustration of Esau and he's saying, listen. What you think you want to trade for, it's not worth it. He's encouraging them. He's saying, listen, look at Esau. Look at the mistake he made. Don't follow in that path. We need to help each other so we don't make those kind of mistakes. We need to speak into each other's lives. You know what else is in in, in part of this? And it's not explicitly in the text, but you know what? There's times where we need to go to a brother or sister. We need to say to them, you know what? That lentil soup is looking really good right now. Is it worth trading for? Don't you think a little counsel could have helped the situation? I mean, don't you think if somebody's out there and said, dude, really? You're going to trade all that blessing for this? It, isn't transparency part of the process? The big warning here is that we cannot treat holiness, holiness lightly. It is dangerous for us to presume on the grace of God. In our lives today, there are some single meals that need to be renounced. Are there not? Like back in verse 1, there are some weights and there are some sins that need to be jettisoned. It's not okay to hold on to them. They're deadly to you. This is a matter of life and death. When we go through pain, we can't go through the easy door. It could be a matter of life and death. Teenagers, college students, listen to me. You need your parents' wisdom in this. Because it's going to look like a good trade. There's going to be times on paper 
we need. This, this passage is saying that this is life and death for us. We need each other. We need to remind each other of this. Like I said, there were these two things that we need. You know, th- th- these two areas that we started out with where we talked about things that are to-do list. We went through these three no's, these three things that we need to know. Finally, let me just give you, though, this one thing that we need to see. One thing that we need to see. Just to kind of pull a lot of this together. Back in verse 1, looking to Jesus, the, found, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do we need to see? Let's be honest. Little, little connection here. There are days that I know I think, man, I just want to point my car towards someplace warm. I just want to go. I just want to see how far I can get. You know, you, you think, what, what if I could just like hit the reset button, leave this pain behind me, and, and make a new me where the worries couldn't follow. To find some peace from the pressure. I would love, I would just so love to get out of here. Have you ever thought that way? Or am I the only one? When our thoughts go there, what does the gospel say to us? The gospel does not say, oh, oh, don't do that. What will, what will everybody think of you? The gospel does not say, don't, don't do that. Because you'll be such a, a loser. The gospel does not say, hey, it's a nice idea. Just kind of keep making it. That's not what the gospel says to us. Instead, the gospel says Jesus understands. He's been there. And he knows the way to the joy that you're longing for. And it is the track that you are running on right now. Don't quit. Don't stop. Now, you may look stupid to others. Their, their Facebook posts may not be affirmative. They may not understand Here's the thing. 
And, and Jesus knew this. That's what we see in, in verse 1. And this is what we need to hold to and understand. At the end of the race that is set before you is a joy that's big enough. And it's lasting enough. And it's rich enough. And it is widely shared enough. It is worth anything. A joy promised by God Almighty must be big enough to live for. And there is no other joy. It doesn't exist. Think of all the sinful promises that have been made to you in your life. What one of them gave you the life that it promised? Not one. Jesus is all we need to go the distance. Lord, help us to believe that today. Help us to trust you for that today. I pray for those that are in pain, for those that are struggling, for marriages that are broken, for, for um, family relationships that are fractured. I pray for some whose health, the diagnosis is not good. I pray for those who look in the checkbook and there's just nothing in there. And the calls just won't stop. I pray for the person who's trying to just point people to Jesus in their workplace and, and honestly the ridicule won't stop. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who are helped by You to be able to trust You, to believe You that Jesus, You really are all that we need. God, that would be miraculous today. But you seem to specialize in that. Help us to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.